Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. sermon time, but we do have the nursery. So if you're heading there, you can uh, head on back. And if you're in here, please join me in Romans 13 once again. Romans chapter 13, uh, one more just brief announcement I'll pass on to you is this coming Wednesday night. Um, we will meet for worship. We'll pray together. We'll study the word. Uh, we'll cut it short just a little bit, and then we'll have a business meeting together. I, I am intending for it to be somewhat short. Just a few matters to tidy up and pass along, and then we'll also choose the budget team for this coming year. But we're in Romans 13. Um, I know and realize that um, when you think about going to the scripture to be encouraged and strengthened and built up and your zeal rekindled, you don't think, let's learn about the government. Um, so I, I get it that that is maybe not our first choice for those kinds of things. Um, but we are seeing, I believe it is becoming abundantly clear. These are the kinds of matters that if we do not study and make known, the world crumbles. One of the reasons for why uh, the decline um, of the church in our land is for um, an ignoring of these kinds of places in the Bible. The job of the church is to be a pillar in support of the truth. This is one of the things we're called to do. We announce the truth, all of the truth to, to one another and also to the world. So let's look at Romans 13. Let's read verses uh, 1 through 7 together, and then we'll pray. Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax, to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we ask that you bless us as we have our time of study. We, we pray, O oh Lord, that not only will you teach us the truths that are here, but Lord, we pray that in a bigger way, you show us your principles, your statutes, how you made the world, what your designs are. And Lord, I pray that as, as today we'll be drawing some of the application from the passage. I, I pray, oh God, 
You will convict our hearts where we are in sin. We pray that you sanctify us and lead us into obedience and a right attitude and character. Lord, we pray that you give us understanding. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you send us out into the world to communicate these truths all around us. Uh, Father, when we see what should be and then what is, we are grieved. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you'll use us, use your, your church globally, Lord, to make known your principles and your righteousness, Lord, so that, the, that there is peace, there is law, there is order, there is submission to you. So please, oh God, we pray, give, give grace. I need your help to preach. Please sustain me. Help me to be useful. Bless all of us as we worship right now by bowing our knees before you. And, and we say, speak, oh Lord. We look to your word where you have spoken. Please give us understanding. Please save those who need saved. Please instruct each one of us. Bless us, oh God, and glorify your name. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Around uh, 15 years ago, I learned some truths about Romans 13 while on a mission trip to Peru. Um, our, our group that we were with uh, landed in the city of Lima, and we took a cities of cars and buses uh, for many hours driving south through the country. And while we were on that journey, I saw a number of things I had never seen before. Some of the days we maybe talk about poverty and such, I'll recount some of those things. But as we were driving, some of what I had uh, never encountered, seen before, is uh, when we were in the city of Lima, uh, they had uh, stoplights and signs, speed limit signs, many of the same kinds of things we're used to seeing here, but the part I'd never seen before is that none of it mattered. No one paid a lick of attention to any of the stop signs, of the speed limit signs. Uh, uh, imagine um, insanity <laughs> being practiced in driving uh, at, the, at the stoplights that we would come to. J just imagine what it would look like if no one paid one bit of attention to the stoplights and everyone acted in complete selfishness. Uh, the, the stoplights, the intersections were just slammed full of cars going every direction. People you know, pulled up on sidewalks. Uh, just uh, the, the lights are turning green and red. <laughs> Nobody cares, okay? And just all that would happen is a whole lot of honking and people just trying to slip through little places. And because of this, every single day, uh, there are uh, wrecks, pedestrians, and bikers who are hit just constantly. And I remember being confused thinking... Why don't these people obey the law? I got some of my answers later. First, one of the ways I saw the reason for this situation is at one of our bus stops, a police officer stepped onto the bus. And he was wearing on his hip, to this day, the, the, the tiniest, littlest, puniest gun you have ever seen. It looked like a toy made for a toddler. Later, I learned that that police officer probably did not even have a single bullet for his gun. Uh, their police officers are regularly stabbed and they have no defense because they have no ammunition for their guns. Later, a second situation developed where when we were in a private car, there were 
seven of us piled into a little uh, 30-year-old Toyota Tercel about to make our way up the Andes Mountains there. And I thought maybe we were gonna get pulled over for that. Um, but instead, what happened was we pulled around a curve and our driver uh, saw a couple of police officers stop by the side of the road and without lights coming on, without being flagged down or anything, he just pulled right over. He pulled over, he mumbled a little something in kind of aggravation, he lifted up his console, took out some money and then walked up and I saw him give money to the police officers and then come back. When I asked the missionaries who knew what was going on, what was happening, they, they, they told me this, well, our driver has no license because nobody has a license here. They've made it essentially impossible by all the bureaucracy Nobody has a license, and the police have come to some kind of like an arrangement. They, uh, our, our driver pulled over with, without ever even being flagged down. The police just do this so much that every driver knows when you see a police officer, you just pull over. And what happened was the police have kind of had this arrangement. We won't give you a ticket. We won't confiscate your car if you'll give us a bribe. So he paid his money. He was sent on his way. So this is a, a daily occurrence. There is no enforcement of laws. The majority of the police are incapable of doing anything in enforcement. Those who are capable of enforcing it use their authority to do evil, exacting bribes from the people. And because of all of this, the, that nation is in chaos. That nation is in poverty. It's an absolute mess. There is no justice. There is no law and order. The people are trapped in a cycle of poverty and chaos that just keeps perpetuating. And at least a great deal of it is linked to the disorganized, lazy corruption of the civil authorities. And what scenarios like that help us see is what the world would look like if you removed civil authority. If you removed governing leaders enforcing laws, the result is madness. You, you may remember 17 years ago when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and the resulting aftermath when law enforcement vacated the city. What happened in that city is, is, is one of the dark stains in our nation's history. When the law enforcement re-entered the city, there was actually an epidemic of police officers committing suicide. Do you remember this? It actually became one of the major issues itself. And the reason was because when they re-entered the city and saw what had happened when law enforcement vacated, the savage, horrifying, stomach-turning depravity that unfolded in that city was so overwhelming that there was actually this major uh, issue of police officers uh, committing suicide. They didn't know how to handle what they were seeing. And, and all of this is very confusing to you if you are still believing the fairy tale that humans are inherently good. When you pay attention to the world, you see the world is exactly like the Bible describes that it is. The Bible describes that humans are sinfully depraved. 
And, and we see some of what would happen if civil authorities were not there to bring law and order. Humans will not instinctively do what is right, do what is orderly, do what is good, unless we are taught to do so, hence parenting. And hence also uh, why it is a blessing to live in a place with law and order. You know, you and I pretty generally obey uh, traffic regulations, at least I hope you do after Romans 13 study. You and I generally obey traffic regulations, but there's a reason why we do. You live in a land with law and order. You live in a land where there is the enforcement and this is upheld, but remove the enforcement remove civil authority, upholding law and order, and humans will descend to their root nature and chaos will result. Depravity will come out. And all this illustrates why it is a blessing from God that God has designed in this cursed world because it's a world with sinners. God has designed civil authorities to uh, uphold law and order. We all know we have frustrations. We all know we have frustrations with our government. We'll talk about that some more. We all know we have frustrations. That's not a question. But one of the things that Romans 13 has been showing us is it is a gift from God. It is an extension of God's kindness that in this world he has ordained civil uh, government. And so, you know, we've said, remember some of the things we saw in the first sermon. We know there are aggravations, but don't despise the design of God. You've seen bad marriage, don't hate marriage in general. You've seen bad government, don't hate government in general. See the design of God for order. And in the text we're considering this morning, we're focusing on the parts that demonstrate that governing leaders are servants of God that there is a a service that they bring to the world for good. Today, we're going to finish up the text by looking at the remaining points we haven't yet covered. Uh, So in your bulletin, what you see there, we're going to look at points five, six, eight, and nine. Remember, we previously looked at at point number seven last week. And um, so we're going to finish up the text this week. And my intention is to come back next week for just one last sermon. And the last sermon is... If we are learning that we are to obey governing authorities, does that mean in everything they say, and is there ever a time for civil disobedience? And what about some of those questions? That will probably be one of the hardest parts we look at. That will be next week, and we'll look at much of what Scripture has to say in that subject. But today we finish up the text with these points. Let's get started today with the fifth major truth, point number five, taken from verse three is this. Rulers are to promote what is good and put fear into those who do evil. Uh, Look at verse three with me again, and I'll read that. It says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, does anybody see any problems here? at least on the surface, when you just immediately read it. Paul says, government does what is good. They do, they do what is right. They reward the righteous and they punish the evil. Anybody see a problem here? Yeah. We, we all know that throughout history, thousands of times over, 
Tyranny has grown. Authorities have not rewarded the, the righteous and have not punished evildoers. Hundreds of times again and again, authorities have slaughtered the innocent and have failed to punish the wicked. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they rape, they tyrannize. So why would Paul say this? Is this one of those moments that Paul just got carried away and he just wasn't thinking about what he was saying? No, of course not. All scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God. This is exactly what God wanted Paul to say. And remember, Paul himself would have his head removed unjustly by the Roman government that he was under. Paul's not mistaken. He didn't just get to Roland without thinking. But Paul himself lived under one of the most powerful rulers of history, Caesar, who notoriously did all of these things that I just mentioned to you. Paul was not confused. But if that's the case, then what does he mean? And why does it say it like this? I think there are two important things to see here. Number one is this. When Paul says it like this, I think he's using the exact same kind of language, language devices, as like when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, we, we could kind of raise our hands and say, Jesus, there's, there's days I'm not very much of a light. Um, there's, there's days I'm not very salty. I may be salty, but not in the right kind of way of being salty. So what do you mean when you say you are the light of the world? What, what, what is Jesus getting at? He is saying, this is the standard. This is the position I have put you in. Uh, th this is the design, okay? Uh, parents, have you, have you ever said to your kids something like, we don't do that in this house, okay? Well, if your kid was a smart aleck, um, they might respond with something like, well, apparently we do because I just did it, okay? Well, when you say something like that, we don't do that in this house, what you mean is something like, the standards that we have set for this house do not tolerate that kind of nonsense. What you are saying is, we have set some regulations here and this is how we're gonna behave, okay? I believe that this is the way that Paul is speaking here, that when he says, you know, government does what is good. He is saying, this is what ought to happen because this is the purpose. This is the design. And secondly, and very much connected with this, I believe the reason Paul speaks this way, Paul knew that he was writing scripture. There's evidence for that in the Bible. So, so Paul knew this wasn't just a letter to a small group of Christians. Paul knew he was writing a book that would be passed down through the, through the years, through church history. Paul knew that Caesar and governors and judges and rulers through history would read the book of Romans. And this section would serve not only to inform citizens about how they are to treat the authorities, it would speak to authorities and point its authoritative finger at them and said, this is your job, bub. There is a law you are under, and I am it. Romans 13 doesn't just speak to citizens. 
Romans 13 preaches to Caesar and presidents and bosses and judges. And what it does is reveal the standard of God. And so there is a sense in which Paul kind of saying, speaking like this, you know, like when a parent says to a kid, we don't act like that. It's kind of like Paul says to Caesar, we don't act like that. There is a job that you are to do. God intends for scripture not only to transform the thinking of believers, but for believers to then announce the truth to the world, to announce the truth to rulers, so that civil authorities understand what the design of God is. This is the purpose of all governing authority. The purpose of all governing authority is to be a minister of God. It is to serve God by serving people in promoting what is good and in punishing what is evil, which gets us into a, a massively important subject. And that is what exactly is the role of the state? We've been hinting at that as we've been studying through Romans 13 what, what exactly, we've been talking about things that are, are not the job of government. So, so what is? You know, in, in China, the, the government there has issued commands uh, to families telling them how many children they're allowed to have. Uh, their government has reached its tentacles, okay? That's language from that book I recommended to you last week, Slaying Leviathan. It has reached its tentacles into places that it does not belong, and it has issued commands that it does not have the authority to command. So it is trying to rule in places that God has not given them the authority to rule. There, the government uh, tries to tell the church what to do, what they're allowed to say when they meet together, trying to reach the slimy tentacles into the church where they do not have authority. So if we're saying that there are things that government does not have the right to do, then what exactly is the role of the state? What is the list of responsibilities? Well, I'm not going to answer that question fully, but I am going to get you started. I'm going to get you started. Here's the top of the list. It is what is specifically alluded to at least three times in Romans 13. The primary job of government is the work of the sword. And remember last week we addressed the work of the sword. The work of the sword is the work of justice and defending the nation. This is the primary calling of civil authority. This is their wheelhouse. This is what they're supposed to focus on, okay? So if we talk about a list of uh, responsibilities, this is at the top. This is the top of the list kinds of responsibilities. Remember that we've, we keep going back to Genesis 9, 6. We talk about the first word that God addressed in, uh, in scripture and in history concerning uh, earthly civil authority. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Men would need to convene together to, uh, to bring about justice. They would need to agree on something. They would need to make an arrest. They would need to execute a sentence. They would need to convene together. This was the beginning of civil authority, okay? At its very institution, justice was the wheelhouse of the state. 
And then, you know, connected with, with that subject, he, here is a critical issue that we have to talk about as well, and that is where do we learn what true justice is? And I know you know the answer, but it is critical that we make it clear and that we think about it. Where true justice is made clear, where it is revealed, is in the law of God. There are other places in the word of God where it is addressed, like the New Testament, which teaches us more about the role of grace in justice, but primarily in the Bible where justice is revealed, righteousness is revealed. It is in the law of God, and this is the reality. If earthly civil authorities reject the scriptures, where are they going to look in order to try to find what true justice is? And the answer is human wisdom. They will look at their own ideas. They will look at Freud. They will look at Nietzsche. They will look at Marx. They will look at human wisdom. And human wisdom always leads to disaster. It always leads to chaos. Fascism is human wisdom going one direction. Communism is human wisdom. North Korea, human wisdom. Caesar is human wisdom. Students in school using litter boxes and meowing like kittens, that's human wisdom. Human wisdom always leads to chaos and disaster. Okay, human wisdom is always either in chaos or on a short journey to get there. The point is justice is the work of governing authorities and God teaches justice and righteousness in his word. If governing rulers reject scripture and they embrace something else, it is sinking sand and it has no foundation. There is just hours and hours of conversation to have here that we could, that we're going we're to move past, right? Uh, and, and the role of the church in informing the world and rulers of what true justice is. But here, here's the summary for right now. The primary work of the state is the work of upholding justice and defending, protecting its citizens. But if you have questions about what are the other kinds of things or what is this uh, spelled out clearer and ramifications from these things, here would be another place I encourage you to go look to. Read through the law again, the law of Moses, the law of Sinai. God established Israel as a nation and gave them their civil law. And, and you, as you read through it, you'll see some things like God gave them the com commands like, like if, they, if they dug a pit, they were, they were not to leave it open. They were to rope it off so that no one fell in it. He gave them commands like they were to build handrails on their balconies. Um, there are places where we see the kings uh, building aqueducts in Jerusalem and such. There are principles that come out in looking at those things in the Bible revealing what is the role of the state. Well, here's number six. Civil authorities are a minister of God. Look at verse four with me and read it again. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now there's also more there that is stated about the work of justice being the primary work of the state. But you also notice this language of 
Civil authority is a minister of God, a servant of God. And the word minister is used. When you think ministers, you probably don't think some of our governing leaders. The first time I heard this language, I thought what maybe you're thinking right now. <laughs> Government's the minister of God. Have you seen our government? How could, the, how could the state possibly be called a minister of God? I, I think understanding this will actually help us in understanding all of the world and, and the work that God is doing. Well, let, let, me, let me give kind of three answers to that question or objection, how in the world could earthly government be a minister of God? Number one, if you struggle with the idea that the state is a minister of God because it is messy, I ask, have you seen the church? The church is also messy. Um, perfect time to be talking about these things. We've been working through church history in Sunday school, learning about all kinds of ways, flaws, uh, errors, heresies, things that we have needed to overcome throughout history. Yeah, the, 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 it is one of the principles uh, that comes out of it. If you think that when God works, it's always neat, clean, and tidy, I would ask you to go read the book of Judges again and remind you that Samson was used of God. Jephthah was used of God. Samson was a minister of God, even though there was uh, flaws and things that were there. So yes, when you think minister of God, I know we most immediately think of the church and we think of the church as being in a better place and more orderly and more godly. Well, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course we better be in better shape than the government, but that doesn't mean that the state cannot be used of God. Number two, if you struggle with the idea that government is a minister of God because it is made up of so many unbelievers, consider God is able to take a crooked stick and strike a straight blow. God is able to take crooked people and to use them for his purposes, um, in his secret purposes, but also even in his revealed purposes. God used Judas in his secret purposes but even in God's revealed will, God used Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius, Alexander the Great, Pilate in his secret purposes. Number three, if you struggle with the idea that the state is a minister of God because it is so flawed, consider the benefits that the state does bring to us and consider what would the world look like if we didn't have it. In the introduction, I gave you a couple of examples of this in Peru and New Orleans, but also consider the current state of Mexico and what is happening there as the civil authorities are crumbling. Um, here's a, a very brief news article clip. Um, this is actually from a number of years ago. The situation is actually worsening um, consistently, but here's a brief clip. Across the border from Loreto, Texas, is the city of Nuevo Loreto, Mexico. The town has lost its civil authority and is ruled by gangs. Alejandro Dominguez was the only person brave enough to be police chief. Hours after he took office, assailants riddled his body with bullets in this city racked by a turf battle between Mexico's two main drug gangs. The streets were virtually empty Thursday, a day after the killing, 
with only a handful of federal police armed with rifles and automatic weapons. We are defenseless, Attorney Zarino Mendrano said at City Hall. It's obvious that the criminals are better organized than the authorities. They sent the National Army and even they weren't respected. Who else can we ask for help? In many cities throughout Mexico, if you were to drive through the streets, you would see the desecrated bodies of men, women, and children hanging, murdered by the cartels. Women are regularly gang-raped. Children are regularly put into the sex slave industry. Unspeakable savagery is the norm. This is the reality when civil authority falls. If we can understand what the world would decay and, and crumble to without civil authority, it helps us understand how, yes, even oftentimes unbelievers who serve in the position of civil authority, how it can still be a service, a service to us and servants of God. When there is no system of a community upholding justice, society crumbles. And listen, we do need to know about that. We need to know some of the, the gory details. I know it's not fun to think about, but this is the same reason why the Bible records the book of Judges with all of its details. When we see those things, we are understanding the world and human nature and what this is really like. Civil authority is a gift from God. Number eight. Civil authority has the right from God to tax. Look at verse six with me. Scripture says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. So you recall that in the first century, the, the Jews had questions about whether or not it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar because Caesar had taken power um, in, in an unjust kind of way. And so they, many of them thought that we don't have to pay these taxes because Caesar is an unlawful ruler. So they asked Jesus that question. And you remember that Jesus responded with, render to Caesar that which is Caesar and to God that which is God's. There's a lot of truth in that statement. But at least one of them is, we are to pay uh, taxes to those who are in authority. Now, many Christians also struggle with the reality that our tax dollars are used for incredible wickedness. It's actually hard to fathom how much evil is done with our tax dollars. Learning about it, and I do encourage you to go learn about it, it will infuriate you. You know, not only do we know about the $500 million a year to things like Planned Parenthood, but it's also every time a new previously sealed document gets made public, we learn about atrocious things that our government has participated in using our tax dollars to go and do this evil. And so there have been Christians who have said things like, I don't want to participate in this. I don't want to support this. I don't want to be a part of this. If I pay my taxes, am I not funding this? But we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus and the question that he was asked. Listen, the Roman government was evil as well. They engaged in great wickedness. And Jesus said, 
that they were to pay taxes. The Roman government did great evil, but also understand, the Roman government also brought law and order and built roads and upheld justice and brought blessing to the people that is better than a dystopian anarchy. So there was a service that they did bring. Jesus said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And two more times in the New Testament, two more times we, it is addressed that we are to pay uh, taxes. So it is made clear. And the reason why is because they are servants of God. Now, there's a popular political slogan that I'm sure you've heard before. It says, taxation is theft. <laughs> Not according to the Bible. Not according to the Bible. Biblically speaking, that's just not true. Now, I think that's clear even from natural law. Even from natural law. If government receives its power from the people and they serve the people by bringing the rule of law, then it is, they have a right to tax. And the Bible shows that they do. Now, the Christian can say, however, that excessive taxation is theft and the reason why we can say that is because there is a standard that the Bible shows. You know, we, we, here, here we go back to Romans 13 is not only addressed to citizens, it is addressed also to all who are in authority. At every level, from the, the small town council all the way up to the highest place. And it is the job of the church to announce and to decla declare things. To rulers, we declare to any in this congregation who may uh, serve in, in uh, civil uh, government, to some of the children who are in the room, I hope they hear some of this part. If they may grow up and serve in some of these places, authorities ought to look to the Bible to tax in a way that is righteous. Because, yeah, there's an unrighteous way to tax. The Bible shows principles in, in these regards. The Bible doesn't give exact specifics, but there are some general principles that we can see in these kinds of things. For instance, the Bible teaches the right of personal property. This is a part of the authority that God gave our, uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden. And um, it's part of the cultural, the creation mandate, the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 verses 26 to 30. We see the principle at least implicit in Genesis chapter 2 when Adam had a right to eat of the fruit that he cultivated. And then this was codified in the law of Moses. There's a reason why God spelled out in the law of Moses that if someone comes to steal from you, you have the right to defend your property. Hasn't that been in the news lately in the public conversation of uh, some argument over that? Yes. Okay. The law of Moses clarifies you have the right to defend your property. And if in defending your property, the person who is attempting to attack and steal dies during it, it is justified, meaning you're not guilty of innocent blood. Why is that? Because of the right of personal property that scriptural shows. I mean, that ought to be evident from natural law. Okay, but the Bible clarifies it. If that is the case, if individuals have the right of personal property, then the government does not have the right to steal from its citizens. When God addressed Israel in making a king, do you remember some of the things that God said that the king would do? You remember that part where God said, the king will tax you up to a tenth of what you have. A tenth. 
Now, does that mean that if a government taxes us 11% that it's tyranny and we revolt? No, I do not believe so. But is there a principle of the kinds of numbers we should be thinking about here? Yes, there is. Do you remember when Pharaoh enslaved his entire nation? Now, I'm not talking about later when the Israelites were enslaved. I'm talking about at the end of Genesis, when Pharaoh enslaved the Egyptians. Do you remember what the conditions were? He taxed them. Do you remember what it was? 20%. 20% was considered slavery. Does that help show some principles? Yes, it does. It's not showing specifics, but are there some principles that are seen in this? Christians are opposed to excessive taxes because we're opposed to theft. And Christians should inform the population and inform governing rulers in respectful ways inform governing authorities the standards of God. Christians should, I mean, can you just think about how different the culture would be right now if regularly Christians were all studying the Bible and had conversations about these things and the knowledge of this kind of stuff spread throughout the nation. And children who were raised in this nation who would later become judges and justices and presidents and governors and mayors, etc., all were aware of biblical standards and they knew these things. Can you imagine how different it would be? It is the job of the Christian to inform the world of biblical standards. We are to inform the government of their sphere of authority. We are to explain to them, this is your job, this isn't. Taking $10 million, $10 million of tax funds to fund a gender study at Harvard, that's not your realm. That's not your wheelhouse. That's not your job. That's theft. That is not what you were called by God to do. It's not your jurisdiction. The only way they will know those things is if Christians inform them. Guys, who else is going to tell them? What other entity in the world is going to inform civil authorities of their limits. No one. It is the job of the church to inform the world of the standards of God and the principles of God. And I'm gonna jump on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. I call it a sub point and Paul did it too, so it's justified. Can you think of how the situation would change if the church, the church in our nation, well, for one, just began to preach the Bible and all of the Bible? not just addressing all the things we want to hear, but addressing all of the Bible. But what would happen if across this land, all of the churches began to preach things like this, like Romans 13, and Christians once again influence the population, influenced the masses, and civil authorities grew up knowing these standards. It would change the situation. Throughout history, this is how the church has accomplished transformation in cultures. If we don't do our job though, nobody else is going to. If we don't do our job, civil authorities will believe they have the authority to do whatever they can imagine. Because if no one is telling them, this is your realm, they'll think everything is my realm, whatever I can get away with, and soon you'll be applying for a permit to use your toaster. If we do not do our job, they will not know the standard. And listen, the only way we will know the standard is if we study. 
The only way this is going to happen is if you give sweat. You give sweat to the work of studying. There is an obligation that every Christian has to know doctrine. It is part of our job. Part of our job is to know doctrine. Come to Sunday school where we are studying through church history. Come to Wednesday nights where we teach through more of the Bible. Read on your own and take really hard books and read them on your own. Come to discipleship groups where I make you read through books you don't want to read through, but they're for your good. Okay, end of sub point. Let me bring this back. Government has the authority of God to tax, but it is our job to inform the world of the standards of God. And then here's the last point, number nine. Render to all what is due to them. Verse seven, render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, notice the connection here. Jesus said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Paul said, render, okay, you, you see the, the connection there? It's one of the things we mentioned, all Paul is doing led by the Holy Spirit, he is further explaining the one sentence that Jesus spoke. This happens all the time in the New Testament. So he, he takes seven verses to more fully explain what Jesus said in one verse. But who are we to render to? The answer is to anyone in a position of authority, we are to give an appropriate emphasis on that word, Next week, we'll come back and learn that there is an inappropriate amount of honor to give to someone, an inappropriate amount of obedience to give to someone. But we are to give an appropriate amount of submission, obedience, respect, tax, and honor. There is a certain kind of honor that is to be given to fathers and mothers, a certain kind of um, uh, and amount that is to be given to city councils and judges, police officers, presidents, bosses, etc. This principle is taught to us in the Ten Commandments when the Fifth Commandment tells us to honor your father and your mother, a command, by the way, which does last the duration of your life, okay? We honor our father and our mother when we're under their authority by obeying them, but even after you're no longer under their authority, you are to continue to honor them. That's the command. And yes, that firstly applies to parents, but throughout the centuries, Christians have seen what's happening there. We learn a bigger principle, the principle of honor to authority, submission to authority. God has established authority in this world. And remember what we looked at last week, parents, this is your job. This is, this is part of your job and it is very much connected to Romans 13. Demand that your children obey you. Insist that they show you respect. Make them to mind you. You are giving your children a gift by not letting them roll their eyes at you. You are giving them a gift by teaching them to respect authority in a right and proper kind of way. I know it's really hip right now to try to be the cool parent and befriend your kid and try to be like, hey man, obey me because it's cool. It's not working. You're not cool, first of all. You're not cool. And you're, you're, not, you're, you're lying to them about reality. You're harming their souls. They will not believe the gospel. 
They will not fear hell if you do not teach them uh, the, the proper way of respecting authority and honoring uh, authority. Parent, it is your job, your job to raise them up and, and, and shape them as much as God lets you have influence. Raise them up equipped, mature, ready to live, and this is a major part of that. We are under authority. You are to teach your children how to be under authority and to do it right. Okay, this is part of what is involved. You also need to teach them about tyranny, but also teach them to respect and honor authority. So we are to render obedience where it is appropriate. We are to pay tax where it is appropriate. We are even to show respect and honor where it is appropriate. The same kind of thing is said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. If you want to read that on your own sometime, uh, the, the conclusion of that passage says this, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, when we talk about respect and honor given to authority, does anyone else feel guilty or am I the only one? It's a reality that it is a difficult thing to show honor when we are frustrated with leaders. Now, let me be clear. It is not sinful to see when something is evil. It's not sinful to say when something is evil. It's not sinful to see when something is foolish. It's not sinful when we see something is insane, like we see right now. Like many, much of what we are seeing happening amongst governing rulers right now, insanity that is bringing the crumbling of our nation. It is not sinful to see it and to say it. In fact, we are, we are supposed to point the things out. Part of the point I'm making is that there's a right way to do it, but we are supposed to. Do you remember why John the Baptist was put in prison? John the Baptist wasn't put in prison for preaching Jesus. He was put into prison because he publicly declared and called out Herod living in sexual sin and called him to repentance. John, John the Baptist did what was right and he lost his head because of it. We have a similar kind of job. We are supposed to point out sin. We are supposed to point out foolishness and insanity and we're supposed to say what it is. But, but there's another place in the Bible that we need to bear in mind as well. Do you remember that time that in the book of Acts when Paul was on trial and in the trial... He made the statement that he, he lived his life in a way that he tried to live with a clean conscience. The high priest ordered Paul to be struck on the mouth. And so Paul was bashed in the mouth there. Paul didn't know that it was the high priest who did it, who, who gave the order. And Paul just kind of belted out, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you dare to sit to try me under the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck? Now, was Paul right? Yes, he was. It was unjust. It was a violation of the law, what the high priest did. But after he said it, one of the soldiers next to him said, do you dare revile God's high priest? And do you remember what happened? Paul then apologized. And he said, I'm sorry, brothers. I did not know it was the high priest who gave that order. And then he quoted Genesis, excuse me, Exodus 22, 28. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. So, even though Paul was right and the high priest was wrong, 
It was still not okay for him to shout out in disrespect like that. Now, do I believe that Paul had the right to say something? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But did he have the right to say it like that? No, he did not. Was it legal for Paul to say what he did? Yeah, it was legal. But was it sinful if he had, if he had known it and done it? Yes, it is sinful. We, we are to show respect. And I know, I know that it's hard, Christian, when we see things like we are seeing, seeing. It's difficult to show respect when not only wickedness is being perpetuated, but, but also just the kinds of things we know is going to bring the, 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 the crumbling of our society. But we are to lead the way in showing the world how to behave. Christian, this is another one of the ways we teach. This is another one of the ways that we preach to the world. We not only preach with our lips, we also preach with our lives. We are to model how you're supposed to behave when you disagree with somebody. We are supposed to demonstrate how we are to show honor to the position even when we disagree with the conclusions and what is happening. We are to model how to voice disagreement and to point out when something is evil, yet to do it in a way that gives an appropriate kind of honor. Christian, we need to confess where we've gotten wrong here. I've had things I have needed to confess, of disgust even in my own heart. We need to be willing to confess our sin. I know sometimes we think about things like this as like, yeah, but that's not that big of a deal. Surely God understands where we see sin, we need to confess sin. Where we've crossed the line, we need to confess sin. We, we need, and we need to make the adjustments that, that is right. It, we need to take the high road. We need to show maturity. We need to show the world how to behave. If we act in disrespect, well, do you think the world is going to act any better? If we act in disrespect... Well, what would happen if, if the, the, just, just imagine the, the guy you would want to be president, John MacArthur, okay? You want him to be president. Let's say he got elected president, okay? If we act in disrespect now, how would the world act then? Well, they're not learning any lessons from us. We need to model what it looks like to give honor to the king. Christians living as salt and light is crucial for the health of the nation because we influence it. Christian, pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. The New Testament instructs us to. The New Testament tells us to pray for their salvation, tells us to pray that we would have religious liberty, that we could live in peace. Don't return tick for tack. You are being reviled right now. Don't revile in return. You are being baited. Don't take the bait. Let's take the road of maturity and show honor. Finishing up here be the four biggest applications I encourage you to take from this, from this passage. First, understand the design of God. Understand his will. You need to know this. Second, teach the world the design of God. Number three, raise your children to respect authority. Number four, honor the king. We need to teach the world how to conduct themselves. Right now, we live with frustrations. But we await the day when the perfect king, the king whose scepter is a scepter of righteousness,
will be in the position that everyone gives allegiance to him and there will no longer be the frustrations of earthly kings. We await that day. Until that time, let's take as many people into that kingdom as possible. Let's, let, let's point out frustrations and tell them there's something better to come, but you only have it if you believe in the Lord Jesus. And if you have not turned to Christ, the Bible says that your sin is more than a mistake. It is treason. It is treason. It is breaking the law of the living God. And that God has a kingdom that he is bringing to this earth. And it is a kingdom like you dream of. It is a kingdom of joy, peace, order, and all things are done in a right kind of way. It is a kingdom of delight and blessing. But if you have never turned to Christ to be saved right now, you are on the outside of that kingdom and you do not have eternal life in it. You will only have eternal life in that kingdom is if you come to peace with that king, which comes through the forgiveness of sins and you receive forgiveness of sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That king was also the sacrifice to pay the price necessary for souls to be forgiven. That king went to the cross in order to make the way for you to have access and entrance by forgiveness. Make no mistake, you must be saved. That's what the word of God says. You must be made right with God and you are not born right with God. You must come to him, be at peace with him, and you will receive that if you will place your faith in him. Believe this message of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Trust in him that he's the only one who can save you and that you can rely on him. Pray and tell him that you believe and you want to be saved and you will be. If you have any questions about that, please find me before you leave. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we worship you and thank you Lord, collectively together we say we are so longing for the day when Jesus, we see you on the throne, when all things are set right. What we see, all that is in chaos here in this world, Lord, we grieve over it. We want to see all of the, all of the nations obey you. We want all things to be redeemed, put into order, for, for, for other people's soul's sake and for your glory. We long for this. So we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray, build your church on the earth. We pray, use us um, to make your truths known. We do ask for mercy on our nation. We ask that you not give us over to the judgment that we deserve. We ask that you lead us to repentance. We ask that you have mercy on us and that you would bless us, O oh God. Make our church family useful in these things. Bless us as we dismiss, and we pray these things through Christ. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.